Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rizak. This is the show that gives you insights and resources in how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. There's been a surge of interest in recent years on mindset and psychology, and with good reason. Understanding the software that our brain is running and being able to upgrade it to something more powerful and uplifting makes good sense for us human beings. Our culture in the West has long had a strong emphasis on success and achievement, and this has indeed produced results. However, it has also given rise to what is referred to as a fixed mindset. In a fixed mindset, you will be focused on the results only, no matter the cost. Because of this, you will tend to avoid risk and upsets, and you will do your best to not have anyone see you fail or struggle. A fixed mindset is marked by fear, fear of failure, fear of uncertainty, fear of being seen as foolish or in your humanity, and it's also a mindset that is driven by ego and status. And one of the traits of the fixed mindset is a sort of rigid binary thinking, right, wrong, black, white, good, bad. It's the ego's attempt to control things by neatly putting them in boxes. If the ego thinks that success must be had at all costs, and even small setbacks are seen as bad, then the ego will subconsciously convince you to create a front man, a persona that will act the part of a successful man, someone who's always confident, never let others see that you're uncertain or afraid, and never let others see the details of your particular challenges, lest they see you as weak. Now, I believe that this kind of thinking will ultimately be seen as a relic, an outdated way of approaching life that doesn't suit our tribe any longer. It's not that the fixed mindset is bad per se. It's just that you aren't optimizing your learning about life or yourself. To continue with the software analogy, the fixed mindset can be seen as an earlier version of ourselves, a software that had some bugs that we needed to work out, such as fear, inauthenticity, separation. The new version of our software is vastly improved, as you will see as you start to use it. And the new version is often referred to as the growth mindset. This is a mindset that is marked by curiosity, authenticity, and learning. In a growth mindset, the ego is taken out of the driver's seat in service to larger themes, such as learning and contributing to a sense of our shared humanity. A growth mindset also allows collective wisdom to emerge. You look at situations more clearly, and you share your challenges with others. This has the impact of accelerating the learning for all of us as we learn to share in more authentic ways. It's like a breath of fresh air. My guest today is author Hilke Faber, and he is an expert on mindset. Hilke Faber is the author of the award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles, a book that Bloomberg recommended as one of the 10 best books on leadership of 2018. He teaches leader as coach at Columbia Business School and has been a contributor to the Harvard Business Review. He also leads the coaching organizations, the Crocodile School, Constancy, and the Growth Leaders Network. Hilke's mission is to realize his essence and help others do the same. Here is my interview with Hilke Faber. I am here with author Hilke Faber and friend of mine. Hilke, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Hi, Tony. Nice to uh, talk to you today. So you wrote a really great book called Taming Your Crocodiles, Unlearn Fear and Become a True Leader. What an accomplishment. This really great writing and a really great book that you wrote. So congratulations, first of all, on doing that. Thank you. And... I wanted to kick off, I know this episode's all about mindset and the book is about mindset, but I wanted to kick it off. There's a great story in the first part of the book where you kind of came across some of this stuff because you were kicking along, having all this success, 
at this consulting company. It's a really charming story because I love it when people are super authentic about something that happened. You were going in to meet your boss and you were anticipating since your sales were so good and you were just killing it. You were anticipating nothing but good news and you stepped in and and I'll let you take it from there. What did he tell you when you stepped in as you're expecting, hey, Hilka, ready to go and we've got a, <laughs> we've got a higher spot on the perch for you, but that's not what happened, right? <laughs> not quite, not quite. Yeah, there was uh, thinking I had it made yeah. again, yes. again, and uh, there he was looking at me, uh, and I could tell by his face that he had something difficult to tell me. You know, he, he and I had worked together for a long time and got along really well, and he basically said, Hilke, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, but if you continue like this, this is over. Uh, you know, you, you basically got to completely change your ways. Otherwise, I may need to let you go. Uh, and uh, and he, he went on and it was, it kind of went downhill from there as if it could get worse. I was like, first, are you kidding me? Like, are you, are you kidding me? Yeah. And I will, I will spare the expletives because um, I thought I had really had done a great job. Yeah. And then um, what turned out that he also said, well, you know, um, Actually, nobody in this firm really likes working with you anymore. Ugh. And that, that kind of hit home. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it didn't quite because I thought, well, maybe because people are scared of me because I may be smart and then this is kind of how you make things happen. This is kind of what I, I learned earlier on in life, like thinking like if you're really good then people get scared of you, like devil wears product kind of thing. Sure. And, uh, and then he said, well, you, maybe you don't want to take some time to think about it. Mm. And I talked to some friends and you know, one friend said that your boss is crazy because you bring out all, bring out all these, these, these sales and mm. high numbers. And another person said, well, you may want to actually think about revising your way. So at least get a coach. Did the boss, did he indicate what he wanted you to work on? Or he just said, no, you got to go take some time and he left it up to you? Or did he kind of say, hey, you maybe go this direction? Or He said things like, you seem to be continuously very stressed out. Mm-hmm. And, and also, what your work seems to be very much about you. You don't seem to share your team very well with mm-hmm. your team very well. And also, you don't treat people very well. Things of that nature. Yeah. It's so odd. Like When I say this now, I'm like, who is this person, right? <laughs> Back then, I'm, I'm hearing this like, yeah, that's right. I don't treat people very well. But, but should I? You were busy killing it, just mowing people over and getting it done, and you know. Yeah, that was part yeah. of my story then, and, and and at the same time, I wasn't like this is like kind of the extreme part. At the same time, I think I was still a a kind, well-meaning person. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know, that got along with people, but this particular thing just kind of blew up in my face. Yeah. So what did it lead to? So then, then you took some time, and you know, to be honest it didn't lead directly to anything because mm-hmm. I was so stubborn that I thought I could kind of outsmart the system. I got a coach. I learned some new communication techniques and mm-hmm. how to be nice to people and how to be kind to people and all these things. And I think people around me started to look at me like, what's up with this guy? He's not authentic anymore. He's not genuine. Where is he? Yeah. Um, so it didn't really uh, work for me because I still had a mindset that I was better than others. Yeah. And I was going to show them by being kinder than others. It wasn't really until I, my body started saying like, no, mm-hmm. it's time for you to, to, to really look differently. Yeah. 
and you know, I I had no no idea, no idea that the Cherokees say don't don't if you listen to the whispers, you don't have to hear the screams, yeah. and I was in the middle of screams and I could still couldn't hear it. Mm-hmm. My body basically had to say, okay, here's asthma. And then, oh, here's insomnia. And sometimes I wouldn't sleep for an entire week, like mm-hmm. for, for seven days straight, no, no, like second of sleep. And yeah. that, at some point during one of those sleepless weeks, um, I, I got to some kind of realization, like I can't go on like this. So you had the breakdown you have a book now on mindset. Are we talking like a 10 year cycle, like this gradual learning process, or was it pretty quick where, you know, you came out of this down dark night of the soul kind of thing, searching for, you know, a different way. And then two or three years later, you've got the book and now you've got a whole new philosophy or was it much more gradual than that? It wasn't quite storybook, like chop, chop, chop. It was more like, ow, 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 that really hurt. Now I'm really confused. Oh, now I'm even more confused. Yeah. I, what really helped me was meditation. Mm-hmm. So when I found meditation, I suddenly could sleep again. Yep. And um, I was on vacation in Vietnam from New York City. Mm-hmm. My body clock was upside down and I wasn't sleeping well. So I wasn't sleeping basically at all. Yep. And then I was in Ho Chi Minh City and a friend that I met there introduced me to meditation. Mm-hmm. And so I sleep again. Yeah. Like for seven hours straight in Ho Chi Minh City. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, there's something about this meditation thing. I got to pursue this more. Yep. And so I did that. I, I started to pursue meditation in earnest. And I call that crocodilian, meaning fear-based, ego-based, mm-hmm. identity-seeking bit still hadn't run its score. So now I had to be the best meditator, you know? Right. Right. Become a monk or something like that. But yeah. that yeah. really helped to, to catapult things. So that I think that happened. I, I discovered meditation in earnest in 2003. Okay. So it's now 2019. Mm-hmm. And the switch to this work started about, like really made that switch into what I do now, which is basically an outflow of meditation, mm-hmm. coaching and facilitation and writing uh, started about 12, 15 years ago. So let's talk about mindset. So there's a lot has been written about growth mindset and fixed mindset. People are familiar with that. Um, there's been a lot of articles and some books written. And in your book, Taming Your Crocodiles, you uh, you frame the mindsets that you work with as a crocodile mindset and an owl mindset. How are the two different and how are they different from maybe a standard understanding of growth and fixed mindset? What I intend to do by using the owl word and the crocodile word Mm-hmm. By using symbols that speak to us sufficiently that they they evoke something, mm-hmm. at the same time not being so precise that they limit something. Right. So it's about how can I a- appeal to something that I would think about as higher consciousness mm-hmm. or more awake or more authentic. That's more from the heart, from the wisdom, from I think neuroscience, maybe prefrontal cortices, from my being. Call that all, mm-hmm. and then crocodile everything else right and you know and and the the core denominator common denominator there being fear things that i do in a ways i think and feel because i'm afraid yeah. and eventually i'm afraid because of my uh, survival not only physical survival but the crocodile being very much about my emotional therefore egoic survival the idea of taming the crocodile is basically how can i 
tame my attachment mm-hmm. to my identities. Got it. And and step through them and let them go. And that includes status too, right? Status would be an extension of ego and and the crocodile mind. Yeah, the status like in in my my own life, I'm better than you. Mm-hmm. I'm special. Yeah. I'm competent. I'm perfect. I'm nice. Anything yeah. where I think I should be this, therefore I can feel good about myself. Yeah. Any of these that I do that put out, that I basically put in the way between me and life that I call the crocodile. Is is it common for people to have one mindset dominant maybe in one area of their life where maybe they're really an owl mindset in this area and then in these other three or four, they're more in the crocodile? Or do people tend to be, you know, you meet somebody and it's like, oh, he's really creative and seems to have, you know, an owl mindset in many, many areas. Or is it something that you grow, you know, you might have a natural tendency to be an owl in one area, but then your growth is in the areas where the crocodile tends to rear its head, you know, persistently, let's say. It's interesting. Like I, I almost see it like this way. Life is a perfect setup mm-hmm. to free us from our illusions. Mm. And the more we set the intention to say, I want to be free from my illusions. Mm-hmm. You could say, the more I set the intention that I say, I want to be a true leader. Mm-hmm. Leader being coming from the middle English word, lease, which means to die. The more I want to die out of these hallucinations that aren't even me, the more I, you could say, I also experience things that show me that. I would say the owl, our essence, you could say, call that presence or love mm-hmm. or awareness. And of course, there's no real words to really describe it. Mm-hmm. Like, like the Tao, because it says, you know, that what can be described is not the real Tao. So the, we can't really describe the owl, so that's why we call it the owl. Mm-hmm. You know? yep. Or another way to say this is, you know, when Michelangelo was asked, how do you make this beautiful statue of David? He said, I saw an angel in the stone. I carved to set it free. So that is what we're talking about. So looking at myself, I'm always working on how can I bring the essence that I am, let's call that the owl, to the Mm -hmm. foreground Mm -hmm. and thin out the crocodilian uh, hallucinations, the the, the identities. And as one uh, counselor helped me see is to bring the, the, the crocodile under the ages of the owl. The more I wake up, you could say, into my wisdom, into my compassion, into my purposefulness, into my light, into mm-hmm. my strength, into my who I am, mm-hmm. the more I'm able to also bring that to, you could say, be with those parts of me that disagree with that. Got it. Now, the question about like into different parts of life do bring out, you could say, that crocodile. You know, the way I like to think about that is it's not like, oh no, I don't want to go into these areas, but actually saying, no, you, oh yes, I do want to be going to these areas because they are the best teachers that I can find to help tame my crocodiles. Maybe it's a difficult boss or a difficult colleague or a difficult client or something that's going on at home or whatever it might be. All of these are great teachers. Yeah. It flips it because we, I guess, in our crocodile mindset, we want to avoid these upsets. I like a smooth sailing boat, you know, like I don't want there to be conflict or, but all of my learning is in the stuff that doesn't work out. Like when it goes well, I don't know how much I'm learning, but as soon as there's conflict or I'm starting to have to deal with myself in an area that I really feel afraid in, or 
I start behaving in ways I'm like, why am I doing that? That's where all the rich learning is. It's never really when things are going super great. Yeah. It's unusual because we've been so trained in our culture to like have success, a little bit like your story at the beginning. You know, if I'm having success, things must be going well. You know, who cares what I'm learning? Yeah. But this is a whole different way of looking at it, isn't it? And hold this way also with a lot of lightness. Yes. Because it doesn't mean therefore, therefore that I now should look for difficult experiences and like bring them on like a kind of a martyr. Yeah. Like it's also like, okay, let's also enjoy life Mm -hmm. as it comes, Mm -hmm. as it comes. And then when there's a difficult moment, let that be a teacher. Got it. And when there's a beautiful moment, let that also be a teacher because a beautiful moment also has something to teach, right? Because my crocodile says, oh, things are going well. How can I hold on to this? Right. Or go another identity. I should have good experiences. I should feel happy. Who would I be without this identity that is attached to this experience? Mm-hmm. And so then I, I start to find freedom in both experiences, both sides of the polarity. Great experiences and so-called not so great experiences. Right. Find right. the freedom. And to me, that's the whole purpose of doing this work, to find the freedom to go into the angel, into the essence, to who we are, whatever is happening. You, I got a quote from the book. You wrote, quote, fear is a stubborn coding in our nervous system, unquote. And I wanted to ask you, how do people behave when they're in the grips of unconscious fears? Like, what are the behaviors that, that you would notice maybe in yourself if you were looking or in others if you were saying, oh, that person's really just coming from a place of fear. So there's, I can have compassion. That's not X or whatnot. Well, I can see within myself, when I'm in the grip of fear, I can feel it in my body. There's a tightness. My eyes kind of harden. My mind races. I'm feeling restless. I am kind of on the lookout for the next shoe to drop. Uh, Conversely, I'm very aggressive or euphoric, Mm -hmm. almost like an addict, you know, like euphoric, like going for something. And yeah, and it's kind of hubris. Uh, rescuing the world. I got it. In the grip of fear, I, I tend to be in extremes also, like yeah. extreme joy, extreme pleasure or extreme pain or whatever, that drama, all of these. The way I, th- I like to think about it, these fears, we can, we can actually categorize our fears, you know, mapping them to create some, like look some patterns. And the basic fear to me is about the fear of losing who we are, our life and our sense of self. And then from that, you know, there, there's a fear of not being enough or having enough or being abandoned. Number like I, another one is fear of abandonment, and another one is fear of like um, failure, fear of uncertainty, fear of pain, fear of uh, the complexity of life, fear of not knowing who I am, mm. etc. And you can map them. And the way I like to think about them is, a fear comes from caring about something also. You know, if, if I didn't care about having a relationship, I wouldn't worry about lo- losing it either. Right. If I didn't care about survival, I wouldn't have a fear of survival either. So if you, I, I, we can, you can map them kind of along the seven, mo- seven motivations from, from Maslow and refined mm-hmm. by Barrett. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I, you said earlier that you've, you've got a regular meditation practice. Um, how has that helped you move from uh, crocodile to owl mindset? The, the tool of meditation and how would you describe that, you know, that journey or that process is if somebody is not a meditator and this, this topic is interesting and they're noticing some 
you know, similarities between their crocodile behavior? How, how would meditation be something that might be inviting for them or, or, you know, what would they get out of it? I guess another way of saying it. Yeah. When I started meditating, I thought that if you didn't meditate, you're stupid, mm-hmm. which of course, who's talking right now? That was my, not my all, but my crocodile, right? It's yeah. like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's very arrogant. I know very wise, very free people who do not meditate. So yes, as do I. Let yeah. me say, let me say that like this is not a prerequisite for doing this work of de- developing our and discovering our fr- freedom, our love mm-hmm. at all. Having said that, here's what I found. For me, meditation helps me to create space within myself and stability. It creates a sense of space and stability when my mind goes wacko, mad too excited, fearful, whatever it might be. In meditation, I touch on something that's constant. The bridge to that constant C is my breath. So I can focus on the breathing and I like to breathe, focus on the breathing in the belly. Mm. That's kind of an anchoring point in the body also, yeah. center of gravity. Bring you back to, you could say reality. Like my breathing doesn't mind my having mad thinking. It just continues like a good mother or father. It's like, oh, okay. Breathe in, breathe out. I'm really upset. Okay, I breathe in, breathe out. Uh, you think I'm an idiot. Breathe in, breathe out. Uh, I feel great about myself. Breathe in, breathe out. I feel terrible about myself. Breathe in, breathe out. So it's like the breath is like this infinite, constant mother or father that I can come back to. That's great. I, I One thing I hear from people trying out meditation, I'm in men's groups quite a bit and, and there's meditation in there. And one thing I hear a lot is people that are starting out is I can't get my mind to stop racing and thinking. That's always one of the first, like, I can't stop my mind. So I think there's this notion that meditation, there's not going to be any thoughts coming when you get good at it. That's not really the way it is, is it? Meditation is just a tool. So just like bicycling Mm -hmm. or walking. Am I not able to walk? You know, my feet are feeling somewhat tight. No, I can still walk. Or am I not able to walk because I'm having a stomach ache? No, I can. Am I not able to walk because I have uh, uh, difficult thinking? No, I can walk. So meditation is like that. It's like walking. Yeah. You just walk and you don't have to do it well. You just walk. Say, I'm going to go from, I'm going to walk. I'm going to sit here and basically spend some time with myself. In what ways do you see people get in their own way? You know, here's, here's where I see people kind of as a pattern, speaking from yourself, of course, as well. I think that I think is very prevalent also in today's world is the attachment to proving that I'm okay, that I am, I'm really okay. And then we build identities around that. Mm. Like I am successful. Mm -hmm. Like I think we really shoot ourselves in the foot by trying to polish up our image forever that we need to be successful. Yeah. By, and, and in this world, very much about having money. Mm-hmm. Like we say to each other, time is money, as if that's true. Yeah. And, and that's part of our collective identity. Mm-hmm. Like we've said, like, if you make more money than me, then I give you power over me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you make less money than me, I kind of look down on you. Mm-hmm. Um, if I would like to do something, but it doesn't make money. I'm not going to do it. Right. If I have enough money, then I'll be happy. Yep. 
So we've, we've given so much power to this thing called money, mm. which to me is a tool. It's, it's a, it can be a wonderful tool, mm-hmm. but we've put it in the way, we kind of put it in between us and this being. Mm-hmm. Like I wonder who I would be without all my thoughts, all my identifications about money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, 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 who would I be? I can't even imagine. <laughs> you know, it's like all the work I've done, but there's still all this story and I'm always trying to make more, you know, like, you know, I've always yeah. got my hustle on. It's like, I have no idea what I'd be without the hustle to, you know, make it and make my creative projects lucrative and all these different things. It's like, it, yeah, it would yeah. be incredible, I would imagine, but it's almost like I can almost not conceive it because I'm so, it's so the water I swim in, you know? Yeah. yeah. And we're fed every moment. Yeah. Like, you know, got a good deal. Yeah. You get a flyer in the door saying your house is appreciated by 20% as if that's a good thing. Yeah. That's terrible, <laughs> right? In a way, because now some people can't live here anymore. Yeah. Like what, what happened with our broader consciousness? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that to be free means, therefore, we don't care about how we work with money. Right, right. It's just that um, I think the identification with money mm-hmm. to make up for something like a, a sense of deficiency within ourselves mm-hmm. that gets in the way yeah and you know i'm i'm working with this myself i ask myself this all the time like who would i be without my attachment to money now i happen to love what i do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i will still do what i do if i had no attachment to money at all there's some choices i would make differently like i would do some project differently i would say no to some work yeah yeah and I'm still working at it. And I, and I hold myself with compassion because I realize that I'm on this journey to discovering like what true commitment to freedom is. It's great. And how I can lead from that. Yeah, I have a shadow because I'm a creative person. My narrative, my, my upfront narrative is I don't care that much about money. But the fact that I think about it all the time and how much I have and I'm checking this and that and do I have enough? I mean, it's, it's one of the dominant themes that I think about. So it's not really authentic for me to say, I don't care. I fact, I care a lot, you know, as a person, it's, you know, so it's a little funny. Um, Why is humility so important to cultivate it? How do you cultivate humility and why do people like to follow humble leaders? Why is that such a natural follow for people? I think people like to have their two feet in the ground. Yeah. And, and we intuitively know when we have our feet in the ground and when we're off in la-la land, mm-hmm. fantasy, hallucination. We know. Yeah. We know when somebody speaks truth and when somebody doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. We, do, we know. Humility comes from the word humus, which besides sometimes something you can eat is also the ground. Yes. So humility to me is about let's get really honest yeah. and then even a bit more honest about what's going on with us and with me and with you mm-hmm. and with our relationship and with our feelings and with everything. Mm-hmm. It's the humility to me is a truthfulness practice. To me, it's a key towards truth, seeing truth with the capital T. It's also not a static thing. It's, an, it's a journey. And it's an overused word, but it's like, a, I can always go a little further. Mm-hmm. I thought like whenever I think I got it, I don't. But then you said, why do people follow humble leaders? Because a leader also needs to be decisive. Mm-hmm. And to me, a humble leader says, whether they say it, we say it, or they say it explicitly or, in, or implicitly through their energy, 
yeah. let people know that they're also in a journey that they also don't know and that in this whole mess this whole chaos of human life mm -hmm. they have the boldness to make some decisions that they mm -hmm. full well know are always coming from incomplete information yeah but yet maybe from a deeper knowing that they're connecting to knowing that tomorrow they might look themselves in the mirror thinking oh gosh this might not have been the best way i i have to look at it again that, that to me is part of humble leadership you know you and i both um had uh, patrick connor taking uh, some classes and workshops from him and i just remember you know his expression of humility i just remember going oh you know that that's a different level of humility and it just opened up this all this room to grow in that area just by his expression of it because you know people give thanks i know people that that live humbly and give thanks for their lives but i think he was so uh, expressive and it resonated on such a depth that i was like wow that is that's a whole path really the the path of humility could be a whole life path if you if you wanted it to be I agree totally agree Hilka thank you so much for coming on the show is uh, just to finish up is there any creative projects or workshops that you'd like our listeners to know about yeah I have started an initiative together with some colleagues called the crocodile school it's an organization that brings people together who want to facilitate this work of mm -hmm. taming our crocodiles either within themselves within their families, within their place of work, within their communities. And it's taking the work that we've been coaching and facilitating in corporations for the last, you know, many years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually in a corporate context, taking it out into the public world. Mm -hmm. And so with the Crocodile School, what we do is we organize events, courses, programs uh, that help facilitators get ready to facilitate their themselves, which I think is the mm -hmm. most important workshop participant will ever meet. But mm -hmm. I am my most important and always present workshop participant. That's me. Yep. Yep. And people around them. So if you so if you're interested in that, go go to the Crocodile School. Uh, we have that on the web. I think that's an important part. I would say that's the, the most important public thing. And if you're interested in doing more work with you know within your organization, then I would just say let's let's have a conversation about that. Well, Hilka, thank you so much. The book is Taming Your Crocodiles. Fantastic job on it. And thank you so much for all the work you've done on mindset, on spirituality, all the, the stand and commitment you have to people. And um, I just so appreciate who you are in the world and the work that you've done. So thank you so much, Hilka. You're welcome, Tony. And I echo that back to you. I really salute and appreciate you taking a stand for truth on the radio waves. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Hilke. I love how he exemplifies the growth mindset or the owl mindset as he calls it, where you learn just as much from life's upsets as you do from your successes, maybe even more. And Hilke recommends meditation as a tool and that is in total alignment with us here at Basecamp. Men, I think if you gave yourself a 30-day challenge to do a simple meditation every day, even if it's only for 10 minutes, you would start to reap the benefits. And what is a few minutes a day for a month to possibly discover a powerful new tool for yourself? Give it a try and see for yourself. And if you want to learn more about how to tame the crocodiles in your organization or how to become a facilitator of this work, please visit www.thecrocodileschool.com or www.growthleadersnetwork.com 
or just connect with Hilka Faber on LinkedIn. That's our show for today. Man, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men.